please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very, very adult content ahead, and you know what? You've been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, Relax and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're going to be exploring another listener request. This time, it's going to center outside of the United States, so we're going to do a little traveling, metaphorically anyways, to Shambhala. As always, we will be playing our drinking game, but once again, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. I'm going to leave the choice of libation up to you, so choose wisely, my young Padawans. Yeah, I'm feeling very Star Wars right now, so just deal with it. It's over. (laughs) All right. Now for the game part. How about every time I say Shambhala, that will be a single shot. And every time I say Agartha, that will be a double shot. All right. Now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. And Agartha and the prophecy of the golden city of Shambhala. Let's jump into it, my heathens. Let's go. As the Russian philosopher Nicholas Rorik passed through the sprawling mountains of Central Asia in 1926, he and his guides were shocked to witness an incredible golden orb floating in the sky. From Chapter 4 of Invisible Eagle, The History of Nazi Occultism by Alan Baker, and I quote, High up in the cloudless sky, they clearly saw a golden spheroidal object. Yeah, you try to say that. Laugh at me. Moving from the Altai Mountains to the north at tremendous speed, veering sharply to the southwest, the golden sphere disappeared rapidly beyond the Humboldt Mountains, end quote. Perhaps Rorick shouldn't have been surprised. Some claim that his journey was no mere expedition. He was actually attempting to return a fragment of the legendary Sintamani stone to its rightful place at the center of Shambhala, and the golden sphere was nothing more than a welcome sign from within. Shambhala, which is Sanskrit meaning place of peace or place of silence, is a mythical paradise spoken of in ancient texts, including the Kala Chakra Tantra and the ancient scriptures of the Zhengzong culture, which predated Tibetan Buddhism in Western Tibet. Say that ten times fast, right? According to legend, it is a land where only the pure of heart can live, a place where love and wisdom reigns and where people are immune to suffering, want, or old age. Shambhala is said to be the land of a thousand names. It has been called the Forbidden Land, the Land of White Waters, 
Land of Radiant Spirits, Land of Living Fire, Land of the Living Gods, and Land of Wonders. The Hindus call it Aryavata. Yeah, I know I butchered that one. Sorry, guys. The Land of the Worthy Ones. The Chinese know it as Xitian, the Western Paradise of Siwangmu. And to the Russian Old Believers, it is known as Belovodya. But throughout Asia, it is best known by its Sanskrit name, Shambhala, Shambhala, or Shangri-La. The legend of Shambhala is said to date back thousands of years, and reference to the mythical land can be found in various ancient texts. The Bond scriptures speak of a closely related land called Olmolongring. Hindu texts say, such as Vishnu Purana, mention Shambhala as the birthplace of Kalki, the final incarnation of Vishnu, who will usher in a new golden age. The Buddhist myth of Shambhala is an adaptation of an earlier Hindu myth. However, the text in which Shambhala is first discussed extensively is the Kala Chakra. The Kala Chakra refers to a complex and advanced esoteric teaching and practice in Tibetan Buddhism. Shakyamuni Buddha is said to have taught the Kala Chakra on request of King Sunchandra of Shambhala. As with many concepts in the Kala Chakra, the idea of Shambhala is said to have outer, inner, and alternative meanings. The outer meaning understands Shambhala to exist as a physical place, although only individuals with the appropriate karma can reach it and experience it as such. The inner and alternative meanings refer to more subtle understandings of what Shambhala represents in terms of one's own body and mind, or inner, and during meditative practices, or alternative. These two types of symbolic explanations are generally passed on orally from teacher to student. As the 14th Dalai Lama noted during the 1985 Kala Chakra initiation in Bodhagaya, Shambhala is not an ordinary country, and I quote, Although those with special affiliation may actually be able to go there through their karmic connection, nevertheless, it is not a physical place that we can actually find. We can only say that it is a pure land, a pure land in the human realm, and unless one has the merit and the actual karmic association, one cannot actually arrive there. End quote. The concept of Shambhala plays an important role in Tibetan religious teachings and has particular relevance in Tibetan mythology about the future. The Kala Chakra prophesies the gradual deterioration of mankind as the ideology of materialism spreads over the earth. When the, quote, barbarians who follow this ideology are united under an evil king and think there is nothing left to conquer, the mists will lift to reveal the snowy mountains of Shambhala. The barbarians will attack Shambhala with a huge army equipped with terrible weapons. Then the king of Shambhala will emerge from Shambhala with a huge army to vanquish dark forces and usher in a worldwide golden age. Though the Kala Chakra prophesies a future war, this appears in conflict with the vows of Buddhist teachings that prohibit violence. This has led some theologians to interpret the war symbolically. The Kala Chakra is not advocating violence against people, but rather refers to the inner battle of the religious practitioner against inner demonic tendencies. 
Over many centuries, numerous explorers and seekers of spiritual wisdom have embarked on expeditions and quests in search of the mythical paradise of Shambhala. And while many have claimed to have been there, no one has yet provided any evidence of its existence or been able to pinpoint its physical location on a map. However, most references place Shambhala in the mountainous regions of Eurasia. Ancient Zhangzung texts identify Shambhala with the Sutlej Valley in Punjab or Himachal Pradesh, India. Mongolians identify Shambhala with certain valleys of southern Siberia. In Altai folklore, Mount Baluka is believed to be the gateway to Shambhala. Modern Buddhist scholars seem to conclude that Shambhala is located in the higher reaches of the Himalayas in what is now called the the Daludar Mountains around Miklodjak. I'm not going to even mess with that one. I am so drunk. I can't even bother. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, you tried it. It's like McLeod Gange. It's got like all these like seriously nothing but <laughs> buy me a fucking vowel. I'm so, I'm so serious. Okay, I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent there. I'm sorry, guys. Some legends say that the entrance to Shambhala is hidden inside a remote abandoned monastery in Tibet and guarded by beings known as the Shambhala Guardians. Because, you know, when you need guardians and you need to name them, name them Shambhala Guardians. All right. For some, the fact that Shambhala has never been found has a very simple explanation. Many believe that Shambhala lies on the very edge of physical reality as a bridge connecting this world to the one beyond it. While many disregard Shambhala as the fanciful subject of myth and legends, for others, a belief in Shambhala stirs an inner yearning to one day find this utopian kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want to find it too because <laughs> I think it'd be awesome. Anyways, it is a pure land, a circular city in the shape of a lotus flower that exists in a space between the physical and spiritual, perhaps within another dimension. Its capital is known as Kalapa, which is located at the very center of the realm where the king of the world awaits on his throne. According to Buddhist teachings, this paradise is only accessible to those with pure intentions and karmic association. Of course, many have attempted to locate Shambhala. Most believe it lies within Inner Asia, perhaps in the Himalayas, or within an etheric plain somewhere in the Gobi Desert. Rorik himself claimed an entrance to Shambhala was connected via an underground passage to Lhasa, the capital of Tibet. But Nicholas Rorik wasn't the only one to seek entry into Shambhala. It is said the Nazis sought aid from the mythical city during their many expeditions to Tibet in the 1930s. As far as the rest of us know, it was never found. And we are left then with only a prophecy. That states... When our world is engulfed in war and suffering, and all is lost, it is said the king of the world will rise from within Shambhala, along with a great army, and eradicate the darkness from the earth. An age of peace and prosperity will follow. Perhaps, however, there's something more to these old stories and prophecies, though. The book Beasts, Men, and Gods by Ferdinand Osendowski is an interesting memoir of Osendowski's experiences in Russia during the Russian Civil War and his journey into Mongolia. But it's not an ordinary tale. 
In fact, in chapter 46, The Subterranean Kingdom, he tells of an incident in which his Mongol guides stopped suddenly, dismounted their camels, and began to pray, repeating the words, Omari Padma Hung. When they finished, one of them explained, and I quote, Did you see, asked the Mongol, how our camels moved their ears in fear? How the herd of horses on the plain stood fixed in attention, and how the herd of sheep and cattle lay crouched close to the ground. Did you notice that the birds did not fly? All living beings in fear are involuntarily thrown into prayer and waiting for their fate. So it was just now. Thus it has always been whenever the king of the world in his subterranean palace prays and searches out the destiny of all peoples on the earth. Later in that book, Osendowski learns of the mystery of mysteries, the legend of the kingdom of Agaharti. He's shown a cave, or a smoking gate, through which locals claimed an old tribe fled into a subterranean country. Finally, after many questions, Osendowski is granted the truth about this mystical realm of Agaharti by the prince Shulten Bailey. And I quote, in it, there is not much of the wonderful. You know that in the two greatest oceans of the East and the West, there were formerly two continents. They disappeared under the water, but their people went into the subterranean kingdom. There are many different peoples and many different tribes. End quote. This strange place at the center of the earth has come to be known as Agartha or Agartha. Modern myth describes it as a place of technological wonder, including, perhaps, flying saucers, where high priests, scientists, and supermen hold incredible power, similar to the civiliz civilizations described by the likes of Raymond Bernard and Olaf Jensen. Occasionally, Shambhala is referred to as the capital city of Agartha, though this seems to be a purely Western construct. Entrances are said to exist at the poles or in caverns and tunnels honeycombed throughout the, pl the planet. Some, like Bernard, believe this civilization is composed of the remnants of Lemuria and Atlantis, the two destroyed continents Ferdinand Osendowski was told of. Osendowski was also told that the people of this realm hold the power to, if provoked, explode the whole surface of our planet and transform it into desert. So, do these myths and ancient legends of hidden realms and subterranean cities hold any truth? If so, will the prophecies of Shambhala come to pass? Well, as they say, time will tell. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of the episode. And I do thank you for joining me today, and I hope that you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. I do respond to every email. And just a pinch, I'm going to be having a little bit of a special episode sometime soon. I haven't decided when it's going to happen, but it's going to be exciting. So I just want to let you guys know that something interesting's coming up. So make sure you stay tuned. And on that note, that's all the time I have for today. I do thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my heathens. I love you. Mwah!
We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.